0: Welcome to the Better Questions podcast. This is the first podcast of 2023. I'm so glad you've joined us. Uh, It's been quite the eventful start to the new year uh, in my world. It's been a bit of a whirlwind, but I'm excited to be back in podcasting. Um, This is a podcast where we wrestle with hard questions and seek to ask better ones. And thank you for everyone who sent in your questions over the break. I've got a good list to work from, and uh, if you want to continue sending in your questions, just send them to betterquestions at eastminster.org. Our question today comes from Jan. Jan asked the question, what is Christian community, and what makes it unique? It's a great question, uh, one that I have given a lot of thought to you and uh, let me just give you a few thoughts just overall and and some maybe some observations that I've had as well as um, what it might look like to to cultivate a Christian community or what what even just makes that distinct Um, you know it's interesting community is I think something that's built into our DNA I think when we were created you know God created man and said it was not good for man to be alone and Then created a woman. Um, And there's something in our creation that we were meant to live in this community, even in the fabric in which Jesus creates his community um, of disciples to sort of do life and do ministry with. I think that's all there. Um, There's a journalist by the name of Sebastian Younger uh, in his book Tribe. He tells a story of American history in the 18th century on the Eastern seaboard. You have these two groups of people living side by side. You have the indigenous people who lived the way they did 15,000 years ago. their Stone Age, nothing's really that different. And then you have the colonists, the British, who were the apex of Western civilization. And what was interesting is there was a number of colonists that began to defect and go and live among the indigenous people. But the odd thing was, that traffic only went one way, meaning there weren't indigenous people going to live in the way of Western civilization. It was actually only the opposite. In Letter to a friend in 1753, Benjamin Franklin said this of the colonists who were captured in a raid. He said this, though ransomed by their friends and treated with all imaginable tenderness to prevail with them to stay among the English yet, In a short time, they became disgusted with their manner of life and took the first opportunity of escaping back into the woods. Interesting. So an attempt of what was probably kindness on on behalf of the British to bring in someone who was captured in a raid and give them shelter and, and sort of civilize them, it ended up being something that they were entirely uninterested in. You see, there's something in their social bond, something so captivating and superior to anything that an individualized culture can bring that for those who grew up in that kind of community, that is what they longed to be a part of. Younger makes the point that early on in American history, the seeds of what we call radical individualism were planted and ultimately led to the poisonous sort of Um, soul of America and the West as a whole in the individualistic manner. Now, this is a lot of cultural commentary here. Here's my point. My point is that there is something about the individualistic impulse of the West um, that really, I think, plays into our current state of cultural loneliness. Okay, and and you can go um, back to World War II this was a time when the west was really brought together as a whole in fact there's this canadian psychologist um i can't think of the name right now but he was talking about the london blitz in 1940 and 41 where the rates of depression in london went down during the nazi bombardment um, and after all that was over it went up so think about that for a second it's not that they loved being bombed by the nazis I'm sure they disliked that part what they what happened was was there was a a a gathering in a communal forced community that had to happen that actually brought forth a sense of belonging and it brought the entire community together and even if you look back historically you go back to 9 11 I don't know if you remember the days following, for as tragic and awful as it was, there was a sense of unity where people put away their partisan politics for a moment and just said, we are one nation and we're going to come together in the midst of this. There's something about these moments when we are forced to be brought together that brings out something I would say pure or, or something at the core of who we were made to be to be in community you um, I mean, think about cities for example okay cities are transient there um, there's tens of thousands of people um, multicultural there's no there's no solid ethnic type you know identity to dive into. There's, there's so much diversity, which is, you know, part of what makes the city beautiful, but also it can make it feel very lonely. And because of that, and because of just the way in which we live in a culture now that is so digitally connected, um, I think a lot of people are having a really hard time processing loneliness. So for example, in the life we live, in the chaos of life, where we're longing for this this community that's like written on our hearts, and we're going through our day to day life in these moments of individual loneliness, where we find ourselves in our room watching TV or scrolling on a phone or whatever it might be, the feeling of loneliness that occurs in many people. What we see Shannon Turkle uh, made the comment that we are living in a culture of deferred loneliness. So you feel the emotion of being lonely, which is not a fun feeling. And instead of feeling that emotion and, and embracing it, we do something different. Instead of finding community, which would be maybe the healthier option, we numb it or cope by getting stimuli sent to our brain through connections online whether that's a social media scroll, whether that's somebody who likes a profile pic that you just updated or a Instagram story or a reel or whatever it might be, receiving a Snapchat or even just getting a seeing that somebody responded to your text message. And while those things aren't inting, intrinsically bad or, or even like I would say in many ways, there, there are many tools for us to stay connected in the digital world it's not a it's not a neutral thing in that I do think that it can cultivate such an unhealthy relationship um, with sort of this give and take meeting our our deeper needs. So the better question is what is underneath our real longing and desire that cannot be fulfilled by these instant hits? I would also say what this leads us into is you have two sort of ways this plays out in our culture. In a culture that right now is politically polarized, um, you see two sort of things happening. You have tribalism, and then you have what I would say is true community. And the difference, the way I would phrase it, and I'm borrowing here from David Brooks, like tribalism, is based on a mutual hatred of something or someone. Whereas community is based on mutual love. So let me break that down a little bit. Community is about who and what we are for. Tribalism is about what we are against. Where community might be about generosity and honor and the celebration of the other and and including others, even though they may be different. Because our shared value is greater than the whole, tribalism is a zero-sum battle for scarce resources where it is kill or be killed. There's a difference here. You know, I see this play out. um, I'm in these really obscure Facebook groups. And I do this more for my own entertainment and research than anything. Um... But like I'm in this one group that's called dinosaurs against Christians who are against dinosaurs. I know it sounds ridiculous and it's because it is. And it's essentially a group of people who despise fundamentalist or even just um, Christians who um, (laughs) don't believe the dinosaurs existed or or believe that. Um, God killed all the dinosaurs. I, I don't. I don't even really know what it's about, to be honest. But there is a certain disdain for a certain um, type of Christian, and so that tr- the identity of this silly group is not what they're for. It's much more. Let's make fun of a certain group that we don't like. I'm in another group. Um, that's it's a flat Earth only group, and I thought it was a joke. Come to find out these people are legitimately, um, collectively gathered for the sake of hating on people who tend to view and err on that side of science and uh, I hate to say it, but reality, um, these are, these are these tribes that are, are just fueled by their anger and hate towards a certain group. Um, I don't know that that kind of community in the end is what we're after because you can find people who might be like-minded towards something you're against, but at the end of the day, that's not going to bring true life that Jesus offers us in community. So I say all that to get to the point, the teachings of Jesus are one that I believe bring us to a place where community is more about uh, committing to a, value, a shared value and saying, I'm committing to you in this community regardless, even if you're different than me, even if um, things get hard or difficult, um, there's something, there's a real power in that. And I think that's really what is at the beauty of what the church can be at its best. Now, let me give you just a few ideas here too. Um, When you think about Jesus' early community in Matthew chapter 9, he's sitting at the tax collector's booth. He says, follow me. And uh, Matthew gets a chance of a lifetime to follow him. And there Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with him. Okay, Because, hey, if you're a tax collector or a sinner, who are you friends with? other sinners, other tax collectors, right? And so Matthew's little crew had friends, and there's them and then his apprentices and Jesus. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his apprentices, why do your rabbi eat with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, this is a major social taboo. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. That's such a good line got to pause on that. And he goes on and he quotes prophet Isaiah, I desire compassion, not sacrifice, for I have come to call the right, not the righteous, but sinners. Matthew tells us that there are people in Jesus community from across the spectrum of maturity. You have the good, Torah observant Jewish boys like James and John and Peter and Andrew, and then you have a tax collector in there, and you have Judas, who you can read about more, right? But apparently, Jesus is a little bit more interested in the level of commitment than the level of maturity, right? If you go, um, chapter 10, um, verse 1, he calls his 12 disciples, and he, he, uh, he gave them notice. Um, he gave them uh, community authority to drive out impure spirits, heal all every disease and illness, uh, and, and these are the because the names of the twelve apostles. So there's kind of like this nucleus, this larger community of people that are with Jesus, and you get this sort of odd mishmash of people, and this is really important. Okay, when you think about like the cultural. Uh, topography of the first century in Israel, right? This is a really odd group. You have the Zealots, which Simon was a part of. They were like a right-wing Jewish insurgency group that would conduct violence and terrorist activity on Roman soldiers. Okay, so uh, you've got this, this group of people. You have Z- uh, Simon the Zealot, but then you also have Matthew, who is literally on the payroll of Rome think about this for a second can you imagine what like morning coffee would be like or i don't know what they drank back then morning tea do they have tea i don't know they had wine maybe they, they had a little you know morning delight and a little wine um conversation would be like good morning traitor oh hi murderer like the, these guys would not get along this is a bad analogy, but it would be like, if you take, what's a right-wing pundit? Like, oh, Ben Shapiro or um, go Donald Trump or whoever. And then you would take like AOC or Hillary Clinton or whoever you want on the other side. And <laughs> Jesus is like gathering all these people where there would be a natural level of tension, hostility, bitterness, especially between a tax collector and a zealot. And yet, diversity, the maturity, those are the things that are far less important for Jesus. And what really matters is their level. Are you willing to leave everything and follow me? This is Jesus and what he values in community. And so, look, if you can imagine these people at different stages of maturity, you can imagine there's conflict, diversity. You can imagine it was messy. And the end goal of Jesus' community was to grow and mature his disciples into people who were like him, who were pervaded by a heart of love and service. This is very different than a community that is built around wanting to destroy, right? Which a lot of people thought that's what Jesus was coming to do, but... Jesus was here to do something far different. Look, here's what I know. Christian community is, I don't wanna say it's more important now than ever before because that's a statement people make and it's just not true. It's always been important. But I do think it's maybe the cure to some of the cultural ills that we're seeing right now in this sort of pandemic of loneliness If the pandemic did one thing, many people sure died, got sick, and that's horrible. But what it's actually exacerbated and made worse is this pandemic of loneliness where people are now more addicted to their phones, more addicted to their screens, far removed from true community, and dealing with more loneliness than ever before. And so how do we find Christian community? The first thing I think we need to do, and I think this is one that's maybe a hard idea, um, but it's to kill a romanticized vision of community. When we think about it, we think, oh, I would love to be a part of this Christian small group who would just, you know, would have, we'd have all get along and be best friends and everything would be beautiful and hunky-dory. And the reality is this community is going to be messy. It's not going to be perfect. You're not going to get along with every person in your group. And that's why I think in the same way, when we talk about marriage, we talk about um, why what separates Christian marriage from just sort of a cultural idea of marriage is that the word commitment, right? The Hebrew word for love, ahava, this agape love is a love that is not contingent on our feelings and our emotions, but it's one I'm going to commit to you regardless of what happens. In the same way, when we find a Christian community, one that, let me be clear, is following Jesus, is, 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 has this maybe um, symptoms of, of a healthy Christ-like community, that committing to that, there's something valuable and powerful in that. And when that community goes through hardship, we can bail or we can stick it out with them, through it. It's one of the challenging things, is I see people hop from community to community to community, church hopping. It's they get disappointed with one, so they join another. And look, there's a time to leave. Let me be clear, especially in areas where their communities are toxic or abusive. Um, but I think sometimes we might be a little quick to leave in our culture. Anyway. I digress. Here's my final thought and idea, and I'll wrap this up. Uh, Scott McKnight once argued, I forget where I read this, but he argued that the kingdom of God and the community of Jesus are basically the same thing. And he makes the case that of all the practices of Jesus, the two most important are silence and solitude, and he kind of lumps that into one, and community because they are the two containers that hold all the others together. And the reason he says this is because when you watch Jesus' life, you pick up really quickly that Jesus would oscillate back and forth between science, silence and solitude and community one-on-one with God in prayer and and, and and being in the presence of God and then back immediately into community. And the truth is, this is what I think the Christian life needs to embody. But you can't just have one. I, I don't think you can just have uh, a community. Um, sorry, extroverts. I do think that there is a time for silence and solitude to be alone with God and to commune with God. And I do think on the other side, sorry, introverts, being a part of a community, while it takes an intentional effort and a sacrifice on some behalf, I think it's incredibly important. And so thanks again, um, Jan, for the question. It's a great question. I'm wrestling through it. Hopefully this wrestling through your question was helpful. Thanks again, uh, everyone who's listening in. It's a new year. We have some amazing guests who will be joining us this year. I can't wait for it. Um, hap- excited to hit the ground running again. Um, If you want to help out our podcast, a couple things you can do. You can uh, review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars. That's always super helpful. Um, You can send in your questions to eastminster.org. Continue to add to that list. If you have a guest who you'd like to see or you yourself are like, hey, I'd love to be on an episode of Better Questions. I would love to have you. So reach out to me. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time grace and peace.